Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. I am really excited to be able to preach this week. Um, it's been a long time. Uh, many of you guys have not uh, heard me preach before, so um, I thank you for uh, your grace and, and hopefully your excitement. Uh, I, I think that this particular passage is really relevant to where we're at, and especially in the season that's coming. Um, but before we jump into it, and, and we're going to be looking at Romans 14 today, and, and our faith, our convictions, and, and Christian freedom, and, and how we, we get to live in that. Um, before we jump into that, though, I want to take a moment and just kind of recognize the reality of that spiritual battle that we talked about. Um, you know, there's two verses that really come to mind. Uh, Ephesians 6, 11 and 12 says to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And there's another passage that, that comes to mind always when I'm thinking about just the, the spiritual battle that we are in, uh, in 1 Peter 5, and uh, it's 8 and 9, it says, Be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Both of these passages address the very real spiritual warfare that we're in every day. And as we look at this passage and we you know, dig into our interactions with one another, when we have disagreements, differences of conscience, things like that, um, I want us to remember that in all things, we have an opposition, right? So, you know, we, we can get kind of caught up in our lives and forget that we have an enemy that is an, that is an opposing force against us that is always looking to try to create ineffectiveness, disunity, even destruction around us, not just in, in our physical lives, but more importantly, in our eternal perspectives. Amen? Right? Like, I mean, you guys, like, it just, I just, I feel like, man, when we, when we dig into this, like, we're not coming on every morning to just be encouraged, but we kind of have to think of ourselves as a regiment or a unit that is gathered together to battle for the kingdom. And as we do that, any good general knows, I'm thinking, I was thinking about Ryan the whole time that I was uh, preparing this particular point, um, but any good general knows that if you can create dissension, if you can create distrust or division in your opposing force, that it gives you a massive tactical advantage in the battle, right? So as we dig into Romans 14 today and, and we start talking about how to handle disagreements amongst ourselves, amongst the body specifically, I want you guys to remember that this is not just about us being obedient to God. This is about our effectiveness as a body of believers together to be a light for the kingdom, right? So today is going to be a little bit different um, I mean, I hope that this is encouraging. I hope that like, you know, we're, we're refreshed as we do this. But this also might feel a little bit, depending upon you know, where you're at, a little bit like boot camp or a little bit like training, right? It's going to feel a little bit more um, uncomfortable, possibly, depending upon you know, what we're challenged with. Uh, it should be something that stretches us a little bit. It should feel more like exercise than rest or surgery than recovery, Right? This moment, this morning, in, in my mind, I, I think of, you know, Job, when Job is told to gird up your loins and, and prepare yourself. And that's kind of how I want you guys to be this morning. You know, like prepare yourself to, to listen. And we're, we're going to go through this passage and, and we just want to wrestle with it. And, and I've been wrestling with it and, you know, I'm not a thus saith the Lord guy. I feel like we can, we can pull some stuff from here, but... You know, there was no angel of the Lord that visited me and said, here, David, is what I want you to share 
with your brothers and sisters. So, you know, we're going to dig through this together because this process, this, you know, living in disagreement, having different issues of conscience is something that we will always have to be navigating together. Okay? All right, so let's pray and dig into the text. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would be with us today. I pray that you would equip us for battle. Lord, I pray that we would shed off the fear, the hopelessness, the frustrations, the anger, all of the things that might be stirring up in us in this moment in time. And I pray that you would fill us with your spirit, Lord, that we would say, we've had enough and we are going to be a light for you. Lord, we're going to stop focusing on ourselves and how we navigate this, but we're going to think about how we can take advantage of this moment to reach out to others as you give us conviction and movement in our conscience to do that. And Lord, I pray that you would give us, as a body of believers, grace. Lord, we are so blessed, and we don't even realize it, that we have people of different economic, social, racial, ethnic, uh, political, across the spectrum in our body. And, And Lord, it is a blessing because you use it to grow us and to focus us on the the things that are most important that bind us together. And Lord, I just pray right now, Lord, that as we dig into this, that your spirit would move, Lord, that you would guard my words, that you would go before me and just impress upon my brothers and sisters that I love them and that I'm wrestling with these things and that I just want your glory. And, And I know that we all share that, Lord. So I just pray that you would do a work through this teaching, through this chapter, through your word, and through your spirit. Uh, use me in that in, in, in whatever way I can contribute to it, Lord. So we ask this in your name. Amen. All right, so let's read the passage. Um, we're going to read the entire chapter 14. I'm going to really pick up the pace here, and I'm going to kind of try to stay on script because I know there's kiddos in the audience, got a lot of stuff going on, so um, I may not look up much, um, you know. It it hurts my heart probably more than yours. You're probably good. You won't take any rabbit trails. We'll get out here on time. Starting in verse 1, it says, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but do not quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord. Since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Do not cause another to stumble. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. 
So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. This is the word of God. So there is a ton here. I mean, this is like, uh, this is just such a great chapter. There's so much in it. I mean, we could teach on this for weeks. But the thing that I really want to focus on is just this uh, Christian freedom. And as we look at the passage, the, the most important thing to understand as we dig in is what is weak faith, right? So this, this first verse, Paul says, you know, to welcome the brother of weak faith. And we can kind of get caught up in, in a, like on a casual reading on, on what that means. And the key to remember is that we're not talking about a saving faith in this passage, right? When, when we say faith, it does not just mean our faith in Christ. We can have faith that the lights are going to turn on. We can have faith or, or conviction or, you know, confidence that our brothers are going to be with us. Or, you know, we can have assurance in our plans and our ideas. So this faith that's being talked about in this passage is not saving faith. So when we're talking about weak faith, uh, we're talking about issues of conscience, issues of conviction that God has, has given us. And, and both in weak faith and strong faith, there is an article that I pulled heavily from. It was just so good. I was taking all these notes and, and I was like, oh man, like they have that and they have that. And it was written by Andy Nasali. I, I don't know 100% that I'm pronouncing that correctly. And J.D. Crowley. And it's a commentary on Romans 14. It's, it's on the uh, Nine Marks website. Um, they wrote a clarifying statement about the use of these terms. And, and I feel like they just, they nailed it. And it says, Paul uses weak and strong in reference to the faith or confidence of one's conscience to engage in a particular activity, not in reference to the strength or weakness of one's saving faith. So the first thing that I want us to be able to kind of receive in this passage is having weak faith is not a negative thing in this passage, right? Paul praises the person with weak faith because they're, obeying their conscience. So weak faith, as, as we look at this, we, we, we kind of have to continually separate it out as this is not talking about saving faith. And we know this because in you know, verse 1 and 2, it says, don't quarrel about opinions or disputable matters. Okay, And we also know this because in, in 22, it says to keep your faith between you and God. Right. So if he's talking about saving faith, that wouldn't apply. Paul tells us over and over again not to keep our faith to ourselves, but to share it and to be evangelizing, correct? Okay, so that's the first little kind of caveat that I wanted to put out, put out there. So what is the purpose of this passage? Um, as I've wrestled with it through the week, I believe it's one part of Paul's teaching on living with one another and growing through disagreements. This passage is an application of the greatest commandment. We see this in Romans 13, 9. Uh, in 13.9, Paul talks about the commandments, and he says, you know, just as Christ did in, uh, I think it was Matthew, uh, that the greatest of these, or that these could be summed up in love your neighbor as yourself, right? So Paul begins this section, love your neighbor as yourself, and then this chapter 14 kind of comes out as an outpouring of this concept of loving your neighbor as yourself. It's also relevant to look at all the one anothering passages that are found through scripture, that we are commanded to do things to one another. And as we look at this passage, this is not a, a passage that's saying, this is the way all conflict is, is handled. All the conflict in the church is, is here. This is a case study, if you will, on one particular issue that was going on in the church at that time. And it shows us how to navigate things in certain situations. Uh, so, if we look at the one anothering passages, we see, you know, be at peace with each other, Mark 9.50. We see love one another 15 times in the Gospel of John. 
or 15 times total, five times in the Gospel of John, in Romans, Thessalonians, 1 Peter, 1 John, I mean, all over the place. Uh, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Stop passing judgment on one another in Romans. uh, In this chapter, we, we will see that. Have equal concern for each other. We see that in 1 Corinthians. Carry each other's burdens in Galatians. In humility, consider others better than yourselves in Philippians. Build each other up, Thessalonians. Live in harmony with one another, 1 Peter. And there's many others. There's 59 one anothering passages in the New Testament. And if we just kind of look through, though, there's a lot of carryover or there's a lot of crossover, but there's 59 times that's said. And, and again, by far, the one that is said the most is to love one another. So as we look at this passage, um, I would say that though Paul is addressing a specific issue of the day, and in this case, he's, he's addressing dietary convictions and holy days, as an example, he's, he's using this as an example of a deeper call for us to have unity and humility with one another because we are bound by the gospel work and promises of Jesus Christ. So that's the purpose of this passage. So I want to look at eight specific principles that Paul gives us to navigate those differences that we find in our uh, living life out, right? So I'm going to commonly call these issues of conscience or different convictions that we have. And, and the reason that as we were going through the Reunited series and we're thinking about reuniting, you know, one of the things that is beautiful about our church is the diversity. But one of the dangerous things about our church is also the diversity because it creates differences and there's temptations that are bound in with that, just being people, right? So I want us to kind of be on guard of those temptations and that's why this became relevant in our reunited series. So the first point, we are to welcome those with disagreements, right? Verses one and two. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. The NIV translates this, without quarreling over disputable matters. Um, One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. The tendency, as we look at this passage, is is going to be to identify ourselves with the strong conscience, that we are the freer person. And, and that's just normal because the weak conscience is a, pejor- a pejorative term or a negative term. So we, we would automatically not assume negativity about ourselves. But the truth is, is that on any particular issue of conscience, you know, we could use um, alcohol as one that's often used as an example in this passage. I, I think it's pretty safe because it's been talked about a lot. So if we look at alcohol as an example, modern day that people would have differences of conscience on. Where you find yourself, there are probably people of weaker conviction and stronger conviction. So as you go through this passage, we need to identify that we are going to fall into both of these categories. We should fall into both of these categories at different times as we navigate our walk. But we need to be welcoming others and also to be ready to be welcomed when we find ourselves having Uh, stronger conviction. I I think it's one of the interesting things about this passage is the the person who has the strong conviction is the weaker in faith. And the person who has the, uh, you know, weaker conscience or or conviction on that particular matter is the stronger in faith. So there's a a play back and forth there, which I don't know, you guys don't care. I thought it was interesting, but number two, I said, you know, you you can be strong either way. You can be It's that labeling thing. I don't know. I promise you guys I wasn't getting on rabbit trails. There's not enough people in here for me to be funny. Number two. So point two is those who have freedom of conscience must not look down on those who don't. So this is verse three and four. It says, let not the one who eats despise, or the NIV has some some good translations in here. It says, treat with contempt the one who abstains and let not the one who abstains pass judgment i.e. be judgmental towards, it's kind of added in, the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. 
so point two and point three are coming off of this passage. And as we look at this, one of the things that I've, I've had some discussions about, you know, am I the weaker brother? Am I the stronger brother? Am I, you know, weak faith or strong faith? And, you know, kind of go through these things. One of the things that you can do is look at how you're feeling about your other brothers, and that can help you find out where you are in that process, right? So if you feel like, man, how can they be so legalistic? Or they're always so complicated. They have so many needs, right? Or how can they be so dense or uninformed or ignorant or immature? Like if those are the feelings, the frustrations that are coming up in your, your heart, chances are that you are coming off as a superior with a superior attitude, right? And this superior attitude is condemned by Paul. So if we look at um, you know, that point, those who have freedom of conscience must not look down on those who don't. You know, if those feelings are coming up, you might you know, have freedom in this area, but just be really frustrated by the, the limitations that your brother or sister's conscience is oppo- imposing on you. In the same vein, those, point number three, those whose conscience restricts them must not be judgmental towards those who have freedom. And we see that same thing, not to be judgmental. So if you look towards another brother or sister and think, are they even Christian? Like, don't they understand how their actions affect others? How can they be so heartless or calloused, flippant, blind to the truth? Right? These attitudes are wrong because if they are servants of God who have been welcomed by him, who are we to judge them as unholy or to d- dismiss them as irrelevant or unimportant, which is that holding them in contempt, right? Okay, I'm going to keep plugging away. Point number four, each believer must be fully convinced of their position in their own conscience. And we see this in verse five, right? It says, one person esteems one day as better than the another, while another esteems all the days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Um, Our conscience is given to us by the Lord, right? The Lord is the Lord of our conscience. So as we embrace that, we need to identify that our conscience is part of the sanctifying process of the Holy Spirit. Our conscience is not the word of God, right? It, it's very important to say just because you have a conviction, just because your conscience is active somewhere, does not mean that it's a thus saith the Lord thing. But it does mean that the Lord is involved in that. If you are seeking the Lord, your conscience is part of that sanctification process. Um, we should obey it. And that said, we need to know that we do not have the exact same conscience as anybody else in the body of Christ, right? I mean, my wife and I, we, we're as, as close as we can be. We have very different consciences, right? We have very different convictions. And it's good. It grows us. And, and in the same way, as we look at the body of Christ here together, um, God uses us like a bundle of rocks. Um, I have a friend in Reno they go out and they, they get rocks and they bring them back and they put them in this thing called a tumbler. They put all the rocks in the tumbler and, and they tumble and, you know, for days and sometimes, actually sometimes weeks or even months and they come out and they're all polished and beautiful. But what makes them polished and beautiful is hitting against each other jaggedly for months. So, when we have a brother or sister who has a different conviction, has a different conscience issue, has a different opinion on something, you know, just something that's going to cause us concern, we need to take joy in that, that just as our conscience is not the word of God, neither is theirs, but God is using both of our consciences to sharpen one another, okay? Um, It's also a good reminder that our conscience is going to grow to be like God's. And that means it's going to change as we grow in our understanding of God's word and dependency on the Spirit's leading. So we should, as as this passage says, be convinced in our mind. But that doesn't just mean that we should, you know, like feel strongly about it, but that we should seek to be convinced by the word of God. 
right? So this doesn't just mean like, hey, your opinion stands because it's your opinion. There's a balance. Like we know the word of God instructs us in this. So we need to be obedient to that and continue to seek it and see that when we have different issues of conscience, it's a really good time to go back to the word and continue to convince ourselves of where we're at. Amen? Okay. Uh, Point number five, assume that others are partaking or refraining for the glory of God. This one is super, super critical. Um, The one who observes the day, verses six through nine, uh, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord since since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. I think that at the source of our judgment and disdain, our dismissiveness for one another when we disagree with one another is a belief that they are not pursuing God's glory. If there was one thing to take away from this, in my opinion, that's it. That we need to seek to understand how our brothers and sisters with different convictions could come to those convictions through seeking the Lord. Try to understand it from their perspective, right? I mean, we do this on the eldership all the time. I mean, we're very different people. And this has been a tough season, guys. I mean, like, we have wrestled more. I think it's brought us closer. I mean, like, you get to moments in relationships and you think, like, oh, my goodness, like, this is a severe disagreement. Where is this going to go? And the beautiful thing is when you get past those, it brings you closer, So God can do a really amazing work through these issues of disagreement. Um, And also remember that our disagreements are part of our Christian freedom, right? Um, If we think at the source of our judgment to one another is these people aren't seeking the glory of God, we miss the fact that our disagreement with them is our freedom in Christ, that we do not have to be bound by our brother's convictions either. So this is a a, a two-sided issue, is that as we believe that they are seeking the Lord, we also are, are, you know, encouraged that we too are seeking the Lord and that we're moving in a direction together. So it's important that we do not lose sight of that Um, that which God has done among us and that we continue to believe not just in the Spirit's work in us, but also be reminded that the Spirit is at work in our brothers and sisters whom we disagree with. Uh, We want to see our differences of opinion not as a threat to our own conscience, but as a help to refine us and grow as the body of Christ together. Uh, So point number six, there's only eight, so we're almost there. Your freedom to eat meat is correct, but don't let your freedom destroy the faith of a weaker brother or sister. Uh, in, starting in verse 13, it says, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Um, To quote uh, Nassali and Crowley again, um, they said, free and strict Christians in a church both have responsibilities toward each other. But the second half of Romans 14 places the bulk of responsibility on Christians with a strong conscience. One obvious reason is that they claim to be strong. So God calls on them to bear with the weakness of the weak. That's in Romans 15.1, right after this chapter. Not only that, if the two groups, only the strong, or I'm sorry, not only, uh, not only that of the two groups, only the strong have a choice in third level matters like meat, holy days, wine, etc. They can either partake or abstain whereas the conscience of the strict allows them only one choice. They can only abstain. It is a privilege for the strong to have double the choices of the weak, and they must use this gift wisely by considering how their choices affect the sensitive consciences of their brothers and sisters. Um, Doug Moo talks about the two dangers of 
imposing or, or, or pushing someone to go against their conscience, right? As the, as the strong brother, he says, are engaging in an activity that another believer thinks to be wrong may encourage that other believer to do it as well, right? So they would then be sinning because they're not acting from their faith or from their conscience, right? So we don't want to encourage people to disobey their conscience. Disobeying your conscience is a terrible habit to get into and can lead to absolute horrible places, right? So, I mean, you look at the wine thing. Like if there's somebody who has a conviction, like I, I, I cannot drink wine. Maybe it's because of past. Maybe it's because of different relationships and other people. It could be, you know, any number of things that brings that conscience decision to them. If they go out and we're drinking with them and around them, and, you know, even as, as we say, like, hey, is it okay if I have a drink or, you know, kind of do these kind of things? If they feel emboldened to kind of return to habits or to go against their conscience, maybe that never results in destruction or decay. But if they get in a habit of going against their conscience, then there are other areas in their life that they could be cutting off in that conscience as well. Does that make sense? Right? I mean, like, we just don't want to encourage people to go against their conscience. Um, the second thing that can happen is there can be an ostentatious flaunting of liberty on a particular matter that may so deeply offend someone that he or she may turn from the faith altogether or, or leave the body, right? And, and that's, I, I think that's more dangerous in our society, um, but I don't know. That's just my opinion. No reason for it. Just my thought. Uh, number seven. Uh, so point number seven, disagreements about eating and drinking are not important in the kingdom of God. Building each other up in righteousness, peace, and joy is the important thing. And I would like to you know, kind of add to that, like <clears throat> disagreements about minute theological issues, disagreements about politics, and disagreements about life choices, and, you know, whether we're in, I mean, like, you know, I had an example in here uh, at one point about sports, and it was supposed to be kind of funny, right? Like, you know, I, like, we disagree about a lot of things, like what the best sport is, baseball, and who the best sports team is, the Angels. And, you know, like, so, like, you know, at least one person thought it was funny. Um, so it's probably good I didn't put it in, but then I added it back in. So now I'm rambling and, and off script. Um, but, you know, the, the thought is that, like, oh, well, that's not what this passage is talking about. But, Hey, there are families who are committed to sports, right? And they go in and they are going to, you know, like they're going to spend three nights a week and two days on the weekend and their kids are in sports and it's this big thing. I have a severe conscience issue against that. Like, and, and I know some of you guys in here, <laughs> I made eye contact with somebody who, <laughs> I'm not talking about them. Uh, like, I know there's families in here that, like, love sports, and that's not the issue. Like, God doesn't care. So even something, you know, totally stupid, like sports, can, can find its way into this passage because we're talking about these issues of conscience and conviction. Okay, so uh, 16 through 21, as, as Paul's talking about that, his argument is that str- the stronger in faith who eat meat and call it good should not put them in position, put themselves in positions where that would be seen as an evil or sinful act. So Paul calls our freedoms, uh, our, Paul calls those of us with freedom to choose to limit that freedom in order to pursue peace. And it's because righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit are the instruments of building our faith or our convictions, our conscience, and growing those to be more like that of God's conscience. So as we go through these things together, if we don't have a conscience issue on a particular thing, then, hey, let it go and and submit yourself to your brother and sister so that their conscience is not assaulted. Uh, It's not, like Paul's just saying, it's not a big thing to give up. And if you don't give it up, then what you think is good is going to be seen as evil by that person. So it's counterproductive. It actually drives you both further apart in growth. 
Hopefully that all made sense. All right. Last point, uh, number eight. If you have free, oh no, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you have freedom, don't flaunt it. If you are strict, don't expect others to be strict like you. So the, the passage is not just to those of strong faith. There is a requirement, you know, uh, in, in verse 22a, it says the faith that you have keep between yourself and God. And this is just something where we all need to be aware that our issues of conscience are our issues of conscience. And it reaffirms to me that the faith being spoken of here is speaking of issues of conscience. They are speaking of convictions that we have that are not central to the gospel. It's consistently made clear that we are to go into all the world and make disciples, sharing the gospel, the faith in in Christ. So we know that that's not the faith that it's talking about. Um, This is speaking to both the strong and the weak, because we must all remember that our areas of conscience are from the Lord, um, that we need to obey them. And again, we're speaking of disputable matters, uh, which are most things that we're going to encounter, not something that Scripture clearly forbids, not something that is essential to being Christian. So to wrap this all up, when does this passage apply? Um, I'm convinced that when Paul instructs us in verse 1 to welcome those weak in faith, or as I would say, those with a strong conviction in an area that we are given freedom of conscience, right? That can be practically anything. And we're called to do that without quarreling over opinions or disputable matters, that he opens this up to any opinion or issue of conscience that would cause division amongst us, right? Just the mic, sorry. Um, Now, I've had discussions with different people this week, and some of you guys know who you are, so I I had multiple responses in different ways, so none of this is pointed at anybody in particular. Just want to give that caveat to those online, those in here, anybody else. Um, I've heard three different responses, and, and I think that there's more than three different responses that we can have from this, but, but these were the three that I heard most consistently. The first one is, I am the stronger in faith, but I cannot submit myself to the convictions of the weaker. So if you find yourself in this situation, I think that you may be assuming that you are strong in faith, but really you're strong in conviction right? Um, And that you feel that conviction to your core. You know, if your conscience is telling you to do or not do something, and you know that it is not a clear and essential commandment to being a Christian, not just wise counsel, not just, you know, the best thing, but to being a Christian, then that seems to be the exact situation that Paul is addressing when he speaks of those with weak faith. So if we have a strong conscience, but we're not willing to give that up, it might just be that, that we're mispl- misapplying where we are in the, the, the case study here. Um, and then again, this does not mean that your faith in Jesus is weak. To the contrary, your conviction is probably intertwined with your faith deeply. You probably feel very strong about the issue and want to fight to have others join you in that conviction because you feel so strong about it, because it's so, so connected to your faith and your motivation. But I want to tell you that I believe your conviction is from the Lord, um, that he is working through you in those convictions, and that we as a church, we want to allow people to function in those convictions, right? To, to be able to speak about it and talk about it and be open about it. Nobody needs to be in hiding here about the convictions that we have. The challenge is that we need to embrace that others are not required to have that conviction and that you must guard your heart from judging them if they don't, right? So that's one response that I've heard. And, and, you know, it it helps to think about things that you have a real strong opinion about that could cause division and kind of process through them. Okay, so the second thing I heard was, I don't know if I'm the stronger or the weaker in faith. I just don't think that it's clear. And this passage doesn't apply to the disagreement. So I admit that there are some difficult disagreements, right? You know, we start getting into politics and medical and, 
you know, schooling and, and some of these things. And, and there's kind of like, oh, well, this person has this conviction and this person has this conviction and they're opposed to one another. So there doesn't seem to be a strong and a weak, right? Like these are opposite opposing strong convictions. And my, my thought is like, if we find ourselves with strong issues of conscience that directly contradict another person with an opposite equally strong issue of conscience, we have two people with weak faith so we're still bound by this commandment, this instruction to seek to be in unity and to have humility with one another. Um, I still think that we can apply the heart of the matter that Paul is communicating, right? Don't cast judgment on others. Believe their convictions are coming from the Lord. Strive to make peace with one another. Build one another up through the bond that we share in Christ. I want to challenge you guys that are sitting in discontentment or I'm, I'm sorry, I want to challenge you guys that sitting in discontentment is not an option, right? And that's where we become ineffective. Satan has distracted us, and we're now fighting over issues of food and drink or politics or medicine or whatever else is coming up, and now we're, we're defeated because we're not making an impact for the kingdom, right? Like the, the opposing general has had his way sowing seeds of discontentment, distrust, and, and it's, it's going to make us ineffective. So don't feel judged or dismissed, right? Don't be distracted. Um, come and talk with me after the service or call me or email me. Like if you guys feel like there's something that's bothering you and you feel like there's, you know there's other people in the church that they're on the opposite side of this issue, it's not okay to just sit in discontentment and allow division to stew up inside of you or stir up inside of you, right? I mean, we all agree with that. Like, this isn't, we're not, I'm not revealing anything to you guys that you don't already know. Uh, the third thing that I've heard, and this is the last point, worst team can come on up. Um, I am the weaker in faith, but the stronger in faith are not willing to honor my issue of conscience. Um, so it, this one, it's really important to identify what this means when you say it. Because if your conviction is an essential or undisputable part of the Christian faith, then we need to uh, correct false liberty in the people that are not honoring that conviction. If it's something that you have not communicated to those around you clearly as an issue of conscience, right? So, so there are issues of conscience that will come up and we don't communicate to others that we, are, we have this issue of conscience because we don't want to cause division and then they can't honor our conviction or our conscience, right? It could also be something where your, your thought of what honoring that would be is that others would have the same fervor and passion for it that you want. And that may be allowing a root of judgment towards them to grow. So I want to remind you guys, that if you feel like you're, you have a strong conviction, if you're the, the weaker in faith in an area, but you don't feel like others are going to honor that, like I want to remind you that I believe that the Lord is the Lord of your conscience. I don't want you to go against it. I don't want you to disobey it. But dig into the source of this feeling so that we can continue to encourage one another and it doesn't become a distraction, right? Don't be silent about it. It's really important for us as we go through this to internalize this and to live through this. Like a big reason that I think this is relevant is the election season is coming up and everybody's going to be just on fire for, for what they're doing. And there's nothing wrong with that. You guys are Christians, and we want you to go out into the world, follow your conscience, and seek to impact culture, right? And, and we trust you that you're going to do that. But what that can do is create division amongst us. And, and we can have different issues of conscience that, that spring up in these areas. And we know that our culture is doing every—we we know, I, I believe—I don't know, I'm not going to speak for you—I believe that Satan has— really a, a great stronghold in our culture when it comes to things like this, like dividing people into camps, setting them against one another, and we need to guard against it in the church. Not just that we would be at peace with one another, but that we would be welcoming those that are not like us. Amen?
All right. Um, if you guys feel discouraged at all, right? If you feel like, ah, oh, man, this is so like uncomfortable. Like I don't know how to deal with this. I want to encourage you that we have a perfect picture of what this looks like, right? Um, Jesus had the perfect conscience, and he didn't judge us, but instead he became like us and lived among us and died so that we could be indwelt with the Spirit and that our conscience could be more like his, right? Jesus also had perfect freedom, and he sacrificed that freedom so that he could bear our burdens. In, in Romans 15.1, it says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So in so doing this, he welcomed us into fellowship with him so that we may be built up through his sacrifice. And, and the, the picture of that sacrifice is the cross, right? I mean, he became a man. He died so that our consciences could be had. And without the cross, we wouldn't have the freedom that we have in Christ, nor would we have the deliverance supplied through that. So we're going to take communion. Um, if you guys want to go ahead and, and start doing the operation. You know, on the, on the night that Jesus died, he gathered the 12, and he gave them a loaf of bread. He broke it, and he told them to eat this in remembrance of me. And he took the wine, and he said to, to take this in remembrance of me. And as we take communion together today, as we remember who Christ is, what he's given us, as one body together, I just, we're so blessed, right? I mean, like, isn't it awesome that, like, the sacrifice of Christ has given us the freedom to be able to be with others, to give us a path towards unity and joy and freedom that is unlike the world knows. I mean, this is a, this is a good thing. So I'm going to pray for us as, as we take the elements together. Uh, Lord, as we take your bread, as one body together, I pray that you would fill us with your spirit, that you would remind us of your sacrifice, that you were willing to give up not just your comforts and your conscience and your, your, your freedom, but your very life, and to suffer unto death. Lord, we take this bread with thankfulness that you are an example for us to follow our Lord and Savior. Let's take the bread together. The blood of Christ is the payment for our sin. Let's pray and receive. Lord, we thank you that you died, that you paid the price for our sin. Lord, we thank you that you have lifted us up, that you have indwelt us. And Lord, I pray that we would be recharged, that we would be filled with joy and thankfulness and empowered to go out and to be a people for you. Let's take the, the wine or the blood together. Lord, we love you. We praise you. Lord, as we, we 
grab these mints and we put them in our mouth and we sing behind masks, I pray that you would be blessed. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for our nation, for the world. I pray that we would get back on track with you. Lord, that we would not be distracted, that we would be salt and light to the world. Lord, that we would stop licking our wounds, that we would stop limiting ourselves, but that we would find ways within our conscience, within our convictions, within this moment to be salt and light to the world. And Lord, that we would not judge our brothers and sisters, that we would, just as Philippians says, Lord, that that we would look at them with everything that is good and righteous and holy and godly, or that we would see them as you see them. Lord, I just pray right now, Lord, just give us a sweet, wonderful time to be able to worship you together, Lord. For those that are here, my brothers and sisters online, just can't wait to go back and look at all of the the greetings and, and the welcomings that, that happen in, in the live stream. And Lord, we look forward to a day that we'll all be able to gather together without restriction. And Lord, I just pray that it would be soon. Lord, that, that this issue of conscience would be passed and, and all of us could be unified in the same place to sing you praise, to, to worship you, to gather and to disciple one another and, and invest in one another and just be tumbled like rocks to be polished and beautiful for the day of our Lord as we stand before you and are welcomed and we hear those words, Lord, that we were good and faithful servants. So, Lord, we love you and we praise you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.